Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. It's that time of year again where we find out about some of the weirdest science that makes you laugh and think. The Ig Nobel Prizes are to recognise astounding achievements and answers to questions that nobody else ever thought to even ask. And that's what we find out about this week, particularly the two Ig Nobel Prizes for Biology and Reproduction. As the seasons change and we move almost to the last quarter of the year, we enter the time where things are coming to the conclusion, exciting finales, huge elections, sports finals. But more importantly, we've got to the best of all scientific events of the calendar year. Now, I'm not talking about the Nobel Prizes. Those are boring hack work. No, I'm talking about the most important scientific awards awarded for outstanding answers and research to improbable questions, questions that no one else thought to ask. I am, of course, talking about the Ig Nobel Prizes, which have been going for 26 years and are a great celebration and ceremony of some of the weirder sides of science, questions that no one else thought to answer, but now we know the solution too. And this year's Ig Nobel Prizes were truly impressive on a variety of different fronts. Everything from understanding the personalities of rocks to studying the impact of underwear on rats and similarly in humans or maybe you know emission scandals or things like living as a goat or a badger or even how to detect pseudoscientific rubbish there's many different areas that we're going to focus on over the next two weeks where we look at the winners of the ignoble prize and give them all a moment in the spotlight so we can acknowledge and be thankful for some of the great work that they're doing just as a recap summary in case you're not aware, the Ig Nobel Prizes are started off as a parody of the Nobel Prizes ever since 1991, and it's organised by the scientific humour magazine called the Annals of Improbable Research, and their credo is science that makes you laugh and then think. And that's kind of the whole idea of the Ig Nobel Prizes, is to award and recognise science that at first makes you go, <laughs> what on earth, and then realise, oh, actually there's something quite interesting there. And ever since being founded in 1991, they have a yearly annual ceremony with a lot of theatrics and a lot of entertainment involved. And it's often also broadcast on radio or streamed online, and it's very, very funny. Uh, but also a quite serious recognition of scientists who are working hard, but often will not get the recognition that their other peers may achieve. Now, one of the interesting aspects of humanity is, of course, clothing. It's a tool that we wear that enables us to do many great things, adapt to environments where it's too cold or adapt to environments where it's too hot to help have the clothing cool us down and shield us from the sun. Regardless, clothing has a great help to our lives and different cultures have their own different norms for types of clothing that they wear or just have as part of their standard regalia. And the late researcher... Dr. Ahmed Shafiq from the Cairo University really got into some of the details about 
uh, a bit of an intimate part of clothing. Of course, intimate apparel. And in particular, tighty whities or tight underwear. Now, different types of underwear obviously have different feels. And this is exactly what Dr. Ahmed Shafiq was looking at. In particular, the effects of wearing polyester, cotton, or wool as underwear or trousers, and to see if it had any impact on fertility. Because after all, Dr. Ahmed Shafiq was a urologist who was studying fertility. And the question always arises, and there's the urban legends and myths that, oh no, if you wear your underpants too tight, it will have an impact on male fertility. And the only way to really test that is to get to the real heart of that matter and put pants on rats. And that, in 1992, is exactly what Dr. Amir Shafiq did. In his lab in Egypt, he stuck on pants and underpants of different types onto rats and used different materials, polyester, cotton, wool, and they made these tiny little cute pants and put them on the rats. And then he had obviously a control group of rats who were abiding by the normal, typical cultural norms of rats to not wear pants, much in the same way that Donald Duck does not wear pants. But these rats, he then studied the reproductive rates to investigate whether or not there was actually any impact on the fertility of these rats. Now, for the rats, of course, you have to make a hole for the tail, and he used different types of material, 100% polyester, 50-50 mix of polyester cotton, all cotton, all wool. And to his amazement, after his long trial, he found that rats that wore polyester showed significantly lower rates of sexual activity as compared to the rats wearing cotton or wool, which were relatively normal responses and and, and impact on their sexual activity. Uh, And that led to some serious questions. Well, was there perhaps something causing uh, this, this rate of sexual activity to be decreased? Did it feel unnatural? Did it feel weird? Or perhaps there was some electrostatic charges created by the material and the rat's fur, which is what he then hypothesized and continued to investigate. Of course, rats is one thing, but... If you're a doctor, like Dr. Ahmed Shafiq, you actually need to go a step further and do it on humans, which is what he did the following year. And so he took 50 men of varying ages and of, of young age and divided them into five equal groups, obviously one control and four test groups. And those test groups were dressed in a different type of textile of underpant, much in the same way as the rats, obviously without the tail hole. 100% polyester, 50-50 polyester cotton mix, 100% cotton and 100% wool. And then over that period of time, for both 6 and 12 months after wearing the pants, he assessed their basically their sexual behaviour. He all looked at both impotency and also the ability to, to gain an erection and sexual activity as a couple of different measures. And obviously he was relying on survey results from the, the, the study participants. And from this, he could actually sort of measure a potency amount. And he also then, based on his previous studies, started to look at the electrostatic potentials generated on the underpants themselves. As the underpants sort of rubbed against the skin, this will actually cause some uh, electrostatic charge. And he mounted an electrostatic kilovoltmeter to also figure out if there was any charge impact on this as well. So the potency... uh, what he found was the people wearing the polyester and the polyester cotton mixed pants had a significantly reduced potency compared to the controls and the other material levels. Now, it was more obviously in the pure polyester mix and the polyester cotton mix. 
And this is exam this is seen both in the twelve and the six month long reexamination points. Now the the wool and the cotton groups no change, no change in potency, no change in charge, and it was relatively stable, much in the same way as the control was. So the polyester containing underpants actually generated uh, some type of electrostatic potential, uh, which may actually have a small electrostatic field which would interact with the actual structure of the genitals. And that is what he thought might actually be having the impact there. But it just goes to show there's a lot going on in places that you least expect it. And it takes a couple of scientists to actually get to the bottom of this equation. And that even though that means putting rats into pants and studying them. Of course, we need to do trials and great work done by Amir Shafiq who was awarded this prize posthumously after he passed away in 2007. And it's great that he got some acknowledgement for his hard work he did, and especially looking after both rats and humans. pattern of work, home, sleep, work, home, sleep, work, home, sleep, scurry, scurry from meeting to next, to meeting, to meeting, to cubicle, to room, to office, to desk, to home, to sleep, to home, to work, to meeting, to room, to sleep. It's referred to as the rat race, much in the same way as a rat will chase itself around a maze trying to find an end. Life in an office was often described in the 90s, particularly in the era of cubicles, before open plan, as being a rat race. And... It can be an exhausting and demoralizing experience. So the ignoble prize this year for biology went to two people who threw away the shackles of the rat race to become something more, something else, something different and give us an insight into the biology and life of different types of animals. Oxford University fellow Charles Foster became a badger, a fox, a deer and an otter. And designer Thomas Thwaites spent a summer in the Swiss Alps living like a goat. And for this goat simulation, as well as simulation of other animals, they were awarded the Nobel Prize for 2016 in biology. So we'll start by hearing about Thomas Thwaites, who, after writing a very successful book where he built a toaster from scratch, called it the Toaster Project. He was a huge success. He gained fame, fortune, acclaim, and some small amount of celebrity. And so what he found that he was he really needed a break from the humdrum of human life. And he felt he could learn a lot from escaping the constant struggles and fast pace of human life by, you know, just getting back to the simple things. And instead of being a man who stares at goats... He thought instead, well, why not just become a goat? They look so free, enjoying the countryside, particularly in the Swiss Alps. And this formed the basis of a long project that would result in his new, in his book called Goatman, How I Took a Holiday from Being a Human. Now, this wasn't just like a person sort of going off and just hanging out with goats as a shepherd. No, 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 no. He was a bit more serious than that. He studied 
different types of models and, to un- and understood human motion by spending a lot of time in the dissection room with the Royal Veterinary College to look at the differences between human and goat's anatomy. And from there, he actually built a series of conceptual models of prosthesis to actually support him and enable him to actually be in a quadrupedal type mobile structure similar to how a goat actually is. So he designed and built several prototypes before arriving at his final design for a comfortable quadruped walking exoskeleton. So he could be like goat. Now that's just one piece of the puzzle because once you've got the motion down to be like a goat, you then need to eat like a goat. Now goats eat grass and humans, we, we can't eat grass. Because the problem is that whilst we can like obviously physically chew it, we can't digest it because we don't have the bacteria to do so. Now, animals, you can get around this process by having a type of bacteria in their stomachs that actually dissolves and helps digest the thing. This is called a rumen. So he decided to make his own artificial rumen. And this rumen contains all the weird bacteria you need to actually have the tough fibers in grass be broken down so you can digest them. I mean, he tried to introduce these bacteria into his own stomach to see if that would work, but our stomach just kills it off, so it didn't really work. However, he went down to a lab and got worked with some scientists to figure out a way to make artificial rumens. So whilst the scientists that he worked with tried to really suggest that uh, maybe ingesting a bacterial colony into his gut would have severe long-lasting health impacts, he decided that his holiday wasn't quite up to that. So instead, he chewed the grass and put it into a bag underneath his prosthesis and then sort of moved over and cooked that in a high-pressure cooking to make a, a grass stew in the evenings. And that also helped him solve a bit of the problem. Now, obviously, once you're hanging out with a herd of goats, you start to get into all kinds of different kind of psychological things as well. Now, it wasn't like he was just walking around looking like a human. He tried to have a bit of a costume that made him sort of blend in with the goat crowd, hence the prosthesis to make him sort of have the same shape as a goat. The bottoms of the prosthesis has a little bit of hooves to give him a sim- sort of similar gait. And it's kind of like a reverse costume. It also was kind of to make him feel like a goat. And there's a lot to be learned about the different way of animal psychology and behavior by studying and living like one. It certainly gives you a feel for it. Nevertheless, his great work in designing prosthesis and really sort of exemplifying and studying in detail goat life earned him joint credit for the Nobel Prize in Biology. His compatriot from the UK, Charles Foster, who was an academic at Oxford University, also over a summer with his son, went on a series of experiments where he tried to live as a as a badger in a den in the hillside, uh, as well as an urban fox and a deer and an otter. Now, he also wrote all that up as experiences in a type of weird journalism slash scientific biology book. And this included things as the differences between the tastes of worms in different regions and different seasons, or what it, what it is like to sort of hunt through an urban environment for food, like a fox, a modern urban fox, or what it's like to be feel like in a forest, gaining new uses of your senses and understanding what centers are important to animals rather than what we rely on as humans. It's all very interesting exploration of new ideas. And that's one of the reasons why Charles Foster was awarded another path of the biology ignoble prize. So taking a holiday from humanity can be useful for helping us give us insight into the way in which animals behave and function and reveal a little bit about ourselves too in the process. And that's why Charles Foster and Thomas Waits 
are awarded the Ig Nobel Prize for Biology in 2016. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we found out about two of the Ig Nobel Prize winners from pants on rats and humans, as well as living like a goat or a badger in the name of science. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.